so we are going to continue this morning in a sermon series called How to Neighbor. And the, uh, the series is in week three or four right now. Um, we'll be wrapping up next week. And, uh, and so we're, we've been talking about a few things. Uh, I think I told you this last week, but, you know, we talked about how um, uh, being a good neighbor gives us the opportunity to share the gospel. And I kind of edited that to say, wait, being a good neighbor is how we share the gospel sometimes. I mean, right, people experience Jesus through us. Um, I had an opportunity to speak with someone who was talking about the difficulty they have with Christianity, and I found out that the difficulty they have with Christianity was all the Christians. It wasn't Christianity. Isn't that funny? And I felt convicted, not because, because they were looking at me, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm one of those screwed-up Christians, too. If you watch me long enough, you're going to be disappointed in the way I follow Jesus. And yet, it doesn't mean that we're not called to continue to follow Him faithfully and more each day to have more of His Spirit living in us, to walk around more in obedience to His Spirit, and to become more conformed to His image all the time. That by the grace of God, somehow people who are with us, around us in our lives, might see and recognize not us and our good deeds, but the Savior who's working through us by His Spirit. It's really the prayer of my heart that that would continue to change. So, so today we want to talk about... Um, another way that we can respond to the good news of Jesus in our lives and uh, demonstrate our faith by what we do, not what we say, which is kind of the theme of the series. In the top of your engagement sheets, hopefully you got one this morning, in the top of your engagement sheet, there's a spot for my next step. You know, it's been interesting having that up at the top of the sheet for the series because some of you have told me, um, I'm just struggling to, what my to know what my next step is. And to that I say, praise God, praise God. We ought to always be asking that question, Lord, what next? What are you calling us to do with tomorrow or maybe the rest of today? I don't know if that seems presumptuous to you, but it seems to me that if God numbered our days and knows the beginning and the end and knit us together in our mother's womb, he knows what he would like of us tomorrow. He knows what he's called and equipped and empowered us to do. And so it is again there for you. I'd, be, I'd invite you to um, pray that God would show you, based on what we hear from his word today, what your next step is with him. What would you have me to do, Lord? It's a beautiful prayer. Speaking of that, let's pray together as we enter into God's word. We always do this. We, we need his divine intervention and wisdom to understand, to believe, and to obey. So pray with me if you would. Um, Father God, we give you thanks and praise for the work that you've done. We are honored to be in your presence where we do not deserve to be, but for the shed blood of Jesus, we could not stand and we could not petition for anything at all. We have no right to ask, Father. Um, but yet you have lavished your riches on us, your great gifts in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, his blood shed on the cross so we might be free. And now we live in this new life, this new body, and we want to know how to do it better, how to be more obedient to you. Father, in this time, would you open our hearts and minds to your truth? Would you allow us to know more and then compel us to obey more. Father, we have no wisdom of our own and I certainly have no wisdom of my own, Lord. You know that. You know me. And so today we're going to look for your wisdom from your word. Would you teach us? Would you draw us near to yourself that we might be more faithful? We love you so much. We trust you with the power of this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a little video for you this morning. We want to check out the screens as we get started. Mm. 
this week's uh, theme is empowering the poor. That's a pretty interesting uh, way to turn a phrase there, empowering the poor. Um, that little video, this idea that to, to be with people could be more powerful than doing for people, right? Um, I want to start with uh, the, the gospel of Mark. I'm going to pull up some, some scripture on the screen this morning. We have a lot, but I'm going to have you turn to a few in your Bible so you can see for yourself. You can look in these up. You can write them down as we go through. Hopefully you have an engagement sheet for that purpose. But we're going to start with the gospel of Mark here. And uh, Jesus says this in, in Mark uh, 14. Um, he's talking to his disciples who've kind of um, gotten frustrated with this exorbitant act poured out in Jesus' name. And, and I couldn't help myself but to start with this because this is one of those verses that pops to mind immediately when we talk about the impoverished or the poor or how we can help those who are poor. And uh, this is Jesus, and he rebukes the disciples um, for kind of giving uh, this lady trouble for what she's done for Jesus. And, and he says this, he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. And he goes on to explain what she did and why it was so meaningful to him. But this turn of phrase is interesting. It says that the poor will always be with you. And as we think about a message like empowering the poor, you might think, oh man, you know, maybe you know where it's going to go, maybe you don't know where it's going to go, but we think we've heard this before. How can we um, help those who, who um, are in need right now? And, and in a way, uh, I think that, that what Jesus says here sounds like, um, oh well, too bad. It's not going to change. Uh, right now, in, in our culture, in our political climate, I sense a real tension about this issue. And there's an expectation that many of us have that it ought to change. As a matter of fact, I've seen some very young, passionate people go out and proclaim, and by the way, some very rich people go out and proclaim that we will end poverty in this generation. They boldly proclaim it. And then I hear my Savior's words saying, the poor you will always have with you. And I go, what? We have so many resources and so much opportunity and so many good ideas. And yet Jesus says, you're going to always have the poor. And so today we want to talk about what we can do to empower the poor or to, as that video shows, come alongside people in their times of distress and really enable them. I want to tell you this morning that this is an issue that I'm particularly passionate about. I just want to lay that out there. I'm particularly passionate about this issue. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, there's some stuff that gets your dander up, and this is one of those things that gets my dander up. I don't know exactly why. It could be a lot of things, the way I was raised, um, my experience of those, uh, even sometimes maybe my experience in traveling to other places and seeing the, the very poor. Um, there's something that God has done that's formed me in this way. I'm going to ask you to turn... Uh, to the book of Matthew now as we consider um, the reality of this. And so Matthew 25 is we're going to work from today. So turn there if you would. On our Bibles is page 694. I would encourage you to read with us that you might see what I'm, and decide for yourself if this is a valid use of the text. Matthew 25, verse 14. We're going to talk through this and then talk about some of the principles that we find here. Jesus is teaching, and he says this, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey 
I want to stop a minute. Again, it will be like a man. What will be like a man? You've got to look back to verse 1 to know what Jesus is talking about. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so you can imagine now here at, at 14, he says it again. Again, it, he means the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about his kingdom, right? This eternal dwelling place of glory. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. That's the way he frames this conversation. Who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Interesting. To one he gave five talents of money. To another he gave two talents. And to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. I want to stop there and talk about this um, for a moment. Jesus teaches many things, and we ought to do a couple of things. We ought to look specifically about what Jesus is saying there, and then we ought to pull back and look about what Jesus is saying holistically in that, in that um, passage of Scripture, okay? And so the first thing is that Jesus is instructing us here what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he says, it's going to be like a man who goes away on a journey. That's what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. I'll remind you that um, Jesus um, uh, said just a minute ago, um, you're not always going to have me with you. Didn't he say that to the disciples as the woman poured perfume on his, his feet? So the kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes away on a journey. And then it says this. He called his servants to himself and he entrusted what was his to them. He gave them his property. And in verse 15 we find out that this property is money or um, talents, um, which is just a daily currency then, um, given to them. This um, strikes me for a couple of reasons. And the first is this, that, that um, Jesus in this teaching is saying that, and I want you to see it for yourself, that um, he has given everyone something. He's given everyone something. And it, what I love, it says, is, is each according to his ability before he went on journey. He gave each of them, interesting, according to their ability. I don't think it's a huge leap to take it out of that context that Jesus is teaching and saying, the them is us. He's talking to his disciples about the kingdom of heaven, what it's going to be like, and he says it's going to be like a man who goes on a journey, and he's given to each of them, and I'd be like, oh, wow, yeah, so me some stuff that belongs to him. Some gave five, some gave two, some gave one, each according to their ability. A couple stories today. Uh, one of the things that uh, I want to share with you, when we were down serving in Honduras um, with uh, uh, Bill Hayden down there, um, one of the things that he's trying to do there is he's trying to show the Honduran people the wealth that God has already given them. Again, he's serving in one of the most impoverished areas in Central America, and yet I can have this mental image that, that he kind of gave me when we were talking about people who are living a life of despondence all the while they're standing on some of the most fertile soil anywhere in the area. And some of, I think, um, his incredulous um, uh, interaction is, do you not see what God has given you? And all they can see is the lack. 
I want to say to anyone here and anyone who happens to listen to this message ever that God has already given you stuff. He's entrusted it into your care. He's entrusted stuff into my care. And it's so easy for us, no matter how, if we're, you know, in Honduras on the dirt, you know, living on a dirt floor, or if we're um, in a huge house with, you know, huge houses for our cars, you know, that, that we can go, I just don't have quite enough. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty tight right now. We, we feel poor. And yet we have to look honestly and say, wait a minute, what has God entrusted to my care? Jesus here says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes on a journey and has given to all of us what we are able to handle. What we're able to handle. I was um, amazed by this this week. Um, I found, as I was uh, praying, I wasn't actually looking for it when I found it, but the BBC um, did an article on global poverty. Okay, so that got my attention. And it said, they are able to use satellite images now and computers who learn for themselves, which kind of terrifies me, I'll be honest with you, self-learning computers. Um, but they can look at the world and they can tell from satellites in space where the poorest people live. And I'm like, what? What, what kind of sorcery is this? And, and so I'm thinking, okay, that because, you know, part of the problem with the poorest is they're so far from people that no one knows they're even there and they're poor. How do you even know the suffering? One way they've been doing this for a while is watching lights. Have anyone taken an airplane flight? Have anyone taken an airplane? You can raise this interactive. Yeah, good. Oh, so some of you have flown. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? We get to fly in the planes. And our, that's crazy. That's so crazy. I have too. Um, when you're, when you're, you ever notice when you're up there and you're looking down, if there's no clouds, I don't know if you had the opportunity at night, by the way, there's some variables here. Maybe you've not flown at night before, but you look down and you can see population centers by what? Where the light comes from. Can't you see that? And, and that's what some of the satellites were doing. They were looking for lights. And they're like, those people who have lights have more wealth. Those people who don't have lights, like culturally true. We kind of know this when we go to places like Vegas and everything is in lights. Those people have money. <laughs> That's what's happening in Vegas, by the way. They might have some of your money <laughs> to make those pretty lights shine for you. Isn't that interesting? But actually what the BBC report on was not the, the light stuff because that doesn't really tell the whole story. But they're actually able to scan daylight images and see things like metal roofs or um, debris, human waste. And they begin to recognize from these scans, and the computers begin to tell the researchers, have you looked over here? This looks like an impoverished area. I thought that was fascinating that those things were happening, um, that we were even looking uh, for such things. You see, I, I believe, and uh, um, we, we already have this on the screens, that fundamentally poverty is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem, and I believe that this is warranted in Scripture. I'm going to ask you to uh, read with me now, just a little bit later, in the same gospel, gospel of Matthew, um, in the same chapter, a few verses. This is Matthew 25, verse 31. Oh, I do want to hit 19 real quick um, as we go. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. Don't miss that, by the way. 
The master went away on a journey. He came back to settle up at some point, okay? Verse 31. Jesus, still teaching, says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king, isn't that interesting? And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Because I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you have done for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You've heard that before, haven't you? And if you read on in there, it says the opposite. The people who are the goats are like, wait, wait, wait. When did we ignore you? And he gives the same answer. The king, when you didn't do these things, you ignored me. And I can sense that, right? I can sense that. Oh, no, you know? Like, um, this, 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 can't, this can't be for us, you know? And this can't be really about the poor. And then I have to ask a question. What disconnects it from the text right before it? The story of the talents. To some he gave five, to some he gave two, to some he gave one. Some were faithful and invested them and some did not. And when the, 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 uh, the, the master came back from his journey and made accounts, what separates them? And I read it and I read it and I read it. And you know what I found? Nothing. Nothing. This is Jesus continuing a teaching on his kingdom, on what, what it looks like, on why it matters. He says that uh, a, couple of, a couple of noun changes here. Uh, the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him. He will set in his heavenly throne. When the Son of Man returns, he will have this authority and this power. When the Son of Man comes, he will separate the sheep from the goats. That's what he says. And he says, and then the king will say, and then the ruler will say, and then the master will say, do you know what the Bible says about the God that we love and serve? He's the king over the universe. He's the king over the cosmos, the whole world. It says there what? That nations will be gathered at the throne. That nations will be before him. He will separate every nation out. And that's just like people groups. That's not nations like the United States and Great Britain and, you know, um, Honduras or Guatemala or, you know, that's like people groups. You, this people come to me and I will separate you based on what, what you saw and what you did. Oh, Lord, when, when do we see you do these things? And the king will answer, 
every time you did it, you did it to me. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. This is one of those topics that's exhausting because you remember what Jesus said. The poor will always be with you. And you're like, I can't handle it anymore, man. I mean, we live in a culture, and I'm telling you, I live in it too. I have more stuff than I have places for stuff. I feel it right now. I got so much. And that burden lays on me. And I know you're probably like that too. You're like, oh, I'm so tired of hearing this. Can you just tell me, enjoy my stuff? Can you just say that? To, you know, right? Just enjoy it, man. You know? Um, and there's been great people of stuff in the Bible. The, this is the truth. Poverty is a spiritual issue. And I want to say this in two ways. I believe poverty is a spiritual issue. Because for some people... They believe that they're poor, and they don't open their eyes. They won't open their minds. They won't believe in their hearts that God has given them something. He's entrusted something into their care. You know, the Word says that we're made in the image of God, that He, he gave us His image on creation, like we were image bearers of His, and He's given us what? Relationships. You know, we had a mom and a dad. I mean, we had people in our lives we have stuff we have opportunity we have knowledge we have revelation and we have these we can learn we can grow we can do we can achieve and i get it this conversation about poverty is so frustrating because you look at people and you say you don't even see what you're sleeping on top of that's the most fertile land in the area and you're wasting it and that's one side of the spiritual battle what has God given to us that we right now do, do not recognize, we take for granted? There's another side to the spiritual battle too, though. And by the way, and I say this often to you, but the Bible is replete with these stories. We don't have time to get into all the text. But the other side of that spiritual battle is this. This is my stuff. If you were good like me, you would have more stuff like me. <laughs> and you don't get my stuff. You can't have my stuff. This is mine. And we're, you know what I'm saying, right? We're like a, we're like a two-year-old with our toys, you know? I mean, I'm telling you, I feel that, you know? I, I don't want to share. I don't want to give my stuff away. And when the master shows up, and he's like, hey, what would you do with that stuff? I got all the stuff you gave me right here. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. Do you not know? I gave you that for a reason. I'm telling you, this is a spiritual fight. Oh, that we would learn to be obedient with the stuff he's given us. Those are the two sides as I see it. There are probably more. You probably see more. But those two sides, bootstrap, man. Pull yourself up. Quit wasting your opportunities. By the way, which is true of all of us, no matter how successful we are, we squander what God has given us. And then so many of us who just need more, just a little more, and I'll be satisfied. Just a little more, and I'll be obedient. When I can afford it, that's when I'll do it. Not being faithful what God has entrusted to our care. What was really funny about trying to articulate these, they, they were the same on both sides. Or not being faithful with what God has entrusted to your care. Not being generous with what God has entrusted to our care or not being generous with what God has entrusted to our care. That's the truth. That's the truth. So I want to talk about something really practical. 
And why I think this matters and this morning, I, I hope uh, you will um, walk with me on this a little bit. But strong words, you know, but this is one of those things I said, gets my dander up. And uh, we're going to talk about this next. And it's this idea that predatory lending, I want to talk about that definition for a minute, uh, is evil. It's evil, evil, evil. Um, I know this is like a catchphrase right now. And so you're like, oh, you're washed in culture, whatever. I know, yeah, yeah, I get it, right? How many have heard that term before, predatory lending? Yeah, a bunch of us should. If you're paying attention to anything, you should know what it is by now. Uh, the, big, the big 2008 housing bubble burst in the United States was blamed on predatory lending. Predatory lending, if you've not looked into it, it's an interesting topic, right? That uh, what in the world caused that? I couldn't understand it. I'm not a business major. I didn't understand how money is being made on predatory lending. I don't understand how you could loan money to people who can't pay it back and still make money at the end of the day. That makes no sense to me. The only way I understood you can make money when you loan people money is if they pay you back, Right? If I say I will give you 20 bucks and then you give me 25 next week, that's how I make money is the $5. That's the difference. But what I began to understand as I looked into it is that there were systems created to make money whether you paid it back or not. As a matter of fact, I watched a video which terrified me on a different topic but on lending that said we actually want to loan money to people who cannot pay us back because that's how we make our biggest margins. We can package that and sell it to someone else. Here's some debt, go collect it. And all of a sudden we create a system that preys, not preys, but preys on the least of these. And you know what we say about it? That's too bad. <laughs> you should have read the fine print. You went to school, public school education, you can read. And that's what we say in our cold distance from this issue. All the while, the banners flash and the flag, flags wave. No money down, zero percent. <laughs> Come get your car. Come get your house. Live the American dream. Evil is a strong word in the Bible, you know. Um, the, we're going to talk about the book of Proverbs in a minute, one passage, but the book of Proverbs is full of God's disgust for taking advantage of the poor. If you believe what the Bible says, he is deeply, deeply insulted that his creation, that his creatures would dare believe that they could walk on someone else that he made for their own good so they can have a bigger barn. And who cares what happens to these people? And, and what's our guilt in that? Our absolute indifference to it. We're smarter than that, right? We're smarter than that. I mean, I, I pay my credit card bills every month. It's not a problem for me. I get free miles out of this deal, you know? <laughs> um, I, I don't take those stupid payday loans. Who does that? <laughs> and I know some of you are sitting here going, oh, God, I did that. I did that. Stupid things. Unbiblical things. I believe that it's evil and it's among us. And I will say to you, and you might think I'm wrong about this, but as I drive through our culture and I see these things that prey on the poor, I pray God's um, uh, righteousness, that's a nice way, wrath upon them. Oh God, would you shut them down? It's amazing to me how many of the things we'll tolerate in our culture as Christians. We'll just stand by and go, that's fine, that's what they want to do, let them do that. All the while, you read the Bible and God says, I am so sick of this. 
I'm so insulted. I heard another pastor was talking about um, strip clubs, and he said, I, I pray, I drive by a strip club, but I pray every day, God, would you just shut it down? God, would you just change hearts and minds so there'd be no need for that, that that place would not be able to make money anymore? And you go, yeah, I'll pray for that. And then we'll drive by that hoopty parked over in a business right here in town, taking out some ridiculous loan that they cannot repay to pay for something trivial that they probably may not even need so that they can have a bigger building or better profits. It aggravates me. I don't, I don't want to be based on what I believe. I just have heard it so much. I've read it so much in the text. Oh, that you would walk on the poor and do nothing. Where are my people? I want to share with you this proverb, Proverb 19.17. Um, says this, uh, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Anyone who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and who the Lord will reward that person for what they've done. I think this is an interesting passage because it talks about lending, what I just talked about, right? I said predatory loaning, uh, lending is evil. And here's this passage that says, um, anyone who is kind to the poor. Um, remember one time we had someone, uh, I, I'm just telling you, I've seen this from the inside. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never done this. You've never done a payday loan. You've done like an a, a auto title swap scam. You've not done the same day, no credit check, drive a car off a lot today kind of a deal, but um, they're out there. And um, one time at Family Bible Church, I, I was approached by someone who came in and they said, hey, uh, I need a huge favor, man. Uh, do you think you could maybe float me 800 bucks because I'm in trouble? And I was like, 800 bucks for what? And they're like, well, my car is going to get repossessed if I don't pay 800 bucks. And if I don't have a car, I can't get to work and I'll lose my job and then I won't, I'll get kicked out of my house. So can you hook me up 800 bucks? And I was like, okay, I'll talk to our leaders about that. We might be able to do something. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. But let me explain. Like, why 800 bucks? What is that? Well, that's how much I need right now to keep them from taking my car and, and, uh, or to get it back from them. They had taken the car to get it back from them. And, and, and after I get it back, I said, well, when you get it back, is that it? Are you done with it? Your car is yours, right? Because it was a title loan thing. And they go, oh, no, no. Um, then I had to pay that payment of 60 bucks a month for the next three years still. And I was like, okay, uh, how much money did you borrow? I was like, 300 bucks. And I was like, what? What's the car worth that they have? Well, I don't know, maybe $1,000 tops. And I was like, Dude, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come to us when, when, and what was the three hundred dollars for? Well, I had to do this one little thing, and you know, I know it's, but it, I, I'm just like, wait a minute, what are we, what are we talking about here? So I would say this: that if you're kind to the poor, the kindness comes then. I, I didn't do that, by the way. I, just to be honest with you, I said no. You know why? Because I don't want to give them the church's money. Well, let's not do that. Let's help you get another another car. Let's do something like that. Let's let's let that car let that car go. The one that's kind to the poor lends to the Lord, right? And that doesn't mean that the, the one who lends to the poor is kind to the Lord. Don't read that that way. That's not what the Bible says. It says if we're kind to the poor, we lend to the Lord. We're going to say, you know what? You have this. God's laid this in my heart. You know what? You have this. 
You take it. You be blessed. And the Bible says, when we do that, we say, here, it's yours. Be blessed. We've loaned it to the Lord who does, who does repay with interest. Who does? Interesting passage. Um, I do have on your sheets today um, this... Uh, there's this great uh, quote by Dave Ramsey. You know I'm a Dave Ramsey fan. I know some of you know that. But he says this, If you read the book of Proverbs repeatedly, you will earn a master's degree in finance. So I want to say today that if you struggle with money issues, I would encourage you to read the book of Proverbs because Dave Ramsey, who is very successful, says you will earn a master's degree in finance by reading Proverbs only. Just that one book. Just read it. The wisdom found there. But how to handle your money. FPU is one of those classes that we have offered repeatedly and I would love to offer again. If you've never taken it, I would encourage you to take it because it teaches us how to, to be faithful what God has entrusted to our care. That's the bottom line. And I know I've offered it a bunch and some of you said, man, I'm not taking that or whatever, right? But just recently I had another experience. Chris and I were talking. We, we, took, we took FPU. In 2003... It was awesome. And I went kicking and screaming. <laughs> I was like, this guy's a con artist. He's scamming us out of money. We're already broke. We can't afford it. And I took this class, and it changed everything for us and how we handle money. And then just recently, there were some folks in our lives who we loved dearly. And after we had taken it, and I, I was able to find out that they had... They had um, had gotten in some huge credit card debt. So much they couldn't get out. They couldn't get out. And, and they had worked their whole lives and they had paid, paid off their home. And the only way they could stop the debt collectors was to take in the mortgage out again. And they basically bought their home twice because of credit, credit cards. Now you might say, that's the way of the world, Bill. That's how it works. And I get it. But I believe God has entrusted us with wisdom and knowledge and understanding and truth from his word. And if we would only be faithful to what we've been trusted with, others might not have to do those things anymore, believe the lies anymore. Give me a break. This predatory lending is evil. I want to read to you from uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Just a couple of verses here. John says this. If anyone has material possessions, that's stuff, and sees a brother in need but does not have pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? I'm going to read it again. If anyone has material possessions, that's stuff, and sees a brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? I want to say the word pity isn't, that's a shame. The word pity isn't judgment or condemnation or self-righteousness. It's that feeling you get in your gut when you're like, oh God, that should not have happened. Oh God, how can I help them get out? Oh God, how can I share what you share with me? 
In verse 18, he goes on. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Actions and in truth. We are called and we're equipped and we're able. Two more stops and we'll wrap up today. Um, I want to share with you, again, this is just to share. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but you don't have to, to the book of Deuteronomy. This is actually where, um, when Jesus uh, quotes that scripture, the poor you'll always have with you. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. By the way, do you know the Bible, Jesus believed the Bible was true? Do you know that? Jesus absolutely believed the Bible was true and authoritative. This is what Deuteronomy uh, 15, 11 says. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. I was like, what? I, I've not heard that preached very often. There will always be poor people in the land. We got that, yeah, hear you. Therefore, I command you, be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy. I'm like, wow, not like I suggest, it might be a good idea. If you think about it, you want to, you feel like it. No, not God, not the owner of a thousand hills, right? Or the cattle on a thousand hills and everything in it. The whole earth and the fullness therein. You can read around there. I think I'm being unfair. God had timetables on stuff. He wouldn't let, he wouldn't let his people indenture people in servitude and debt forever. He would not allow it. It was intolerable for him and his people. It should be the same for us. And the last stop we'll make here, I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 4. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus is working out his ministry, as it, as it were, getting things started. He goes into the synagogue on the worship day, and he unrolls the scroll to the place where it was written. If you know anything about uh, Jewish worship, they, they walk right through the Bible and they keep unrolling the scroll to the place it is. So you don't come in and like proof text what you want to talk about today. It's like, this is what we're on. This is what we're going to talk about. <clears throat> this is what the word says. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and if you know your Bible, you know that he sets down, he says, this is fulfilled today, and you're hearing it, and he has a seat, and the place goes crazy. What? Jesus identifies himself with this ministry to the poor. Look at the nouns there. Uh, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, the people who are far from God, who are hopeless. We have a tendency in Christianity to spiritualize everything and say, well, yeah, but we're all poor, aren't we, Bill? Yes, we are all poor. We're all poor in spirit. Yes, we're all poor. I can't read the Bible and not see the plain stuff God is saying. And to me, he's clearly saying, I came 
to proclaim good news to the poor, those who are without, those who have not gotten a fair shake or have gotten themselves in a mess, those who are in prison. You know, people in prison are guilty, right? Now we're talking about here who deserves what, but what he's come to do. Like everything else, if we recognize in Jesus Christ his abundant riches poured out on us that we do not deserve, if we recognize in what he's entrusted to our care, the talents, the money, the stuff he's given us, and, and it's, then all of a sudden we can't be that two-year-old that and goes, it's mine, it's mine. We go, no, it's yours, it's yours. And see, that's a spiritual fight. It doesn't belong to me. Because there's a master who went on a journey, and he's going to come back and say, hey, what did you do with the stuff? And it is going to matter. And we have taken that completely out of our Christianity. We've taken it completely out. And I think that's terrifying. So what are, what are some things we can do? I put on your sheet today three things that we can do. And these are generalized things, but you can be praying about it. By the way, um, can we just talk for a minute about what the Lord's favor is? It's freedom. <laughs> that's actually, if you read in Deuteronomy what's happening, he's like, we're going to release the debts every seven years, and every 49 years we're going to have a party because no one owns anything and everything belongs to everyone. That's craziness, right? 49 years, that's like in a lifetime, isn't it? No generational poverty, no generational debt, no generational wealth. All right, three things we can do today if we would choose to do it. Uh, the first thing <clears throat> is... To open up, open my storehouse. You know, take a little inventory of what God has entrusted to us, whatever that is, and think about what God might be asking us to share. Right? And I'm talking to everybody here, not some people. You might go, yeah, but I'm the poorest person in the room, so this isn't because y'all are gonna give me stuff. That's what. No, everyone has stuff to share. Right? Um, I remember one time <clears throat> I went to. Uh, Highland home here and I preached a sermon and there was a gentleman that approached me after in tears and he said I don't know how to deal with these passages about storing up stuff for ourselves in this point in my life you know Let, let's don't wait let's don't wait to do that open our storehouses there's the passage that says you know what do I do I'll build bigger barns right no let's don't do that let's don't one thing we can do open our storehouse alright fair enough Second thing, educate everyone. Like, <laughs> just teach people the truth. Like, if you got friends, or maybe you, you know, and you've done some really dumb things, like, just have the courage to say, Dad, that's dumb, don't do that. <laughs> what else would I do? Well, let me tell you what you could do instead. You know, instead of financing a car, you can buy a cheaper car cash. Do you know you can do that? Well, I don't know. How do you, car payment, everybody has a car payment. No, they don't. Well, I have to have that 15000 I'm a, a salesperson. They're going to see you. I drive up in that hoopty. They're going to make fun and make fun of you all you want. You're debt free. Find a $500 car. You can't find a $500 car. We just had a conversation yesterday about somebody got a $500 car. $500 car. Crazy as this is, somebody went through FP. I told you the story. And the organization came and gave them a car. The person says, no, the Lord gave me the car. Educate people. What's a wise decision? What would God say you should be doing? Keep, you know, keep racking up the debt, leverage, leverage your monetary value. And I want to encourage you, by the way, 
because maybe, I mean, I just know there are people here who struggle, and I, I, I did too, and say, yeah, it's all fine and good, but I'm, I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs. There is a way out. And if you, you, like, there is a way out. If I can educate you in that, you can get through this. With intentionality and a plan, you can get through it. God's word does not return void, and we can study it and learn together. And I'm telling you, FPU flat out is one of the best ways I've ever had that happen in my life, just to receive an education on not doing dumb things with money. All right? So educate people on biblical truth, biblical financial truth in particular. Encourage them. Oh, discourage them from doing dumb things. Like, don't go rah-rah, that's cool for you. You know, go, oh, no, come on. You know, it's, and you know what else you can do? You can live differently yourself. And then people go, how do you do that? And you say, this is how we do it. Too many stories to tell this morning. I don't want to share. And the third is this, and it's not last because it's least important, but share the gospel. You see what the gospel says? Is that all have fallen short of glory of God, and all, anyone who calls the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And we have all the same riches in Christ Jesus. And we have all the same stuff in our possession that belongs to him. And we have all a master who is returning. He's going to sit on the throne. I'm going to call the nations forward. I'm going to separate us out. And we're going to say, what in the world? And he's going to say, you know why? Because that was me. You, 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 Jesus. The people on the street, the people you see, the family, the friends, they're Jesus. When did we come? When did we do this? He says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Credited to you as righteousness. We share the gospel, including, listen to me, <laughs> to include everyone in the true riches of Jesus Christ. To include everyone in freedom from their sin and a new life in Jesus. Three things. I don't know what the thing is for you. Maybe something off there. Maybe it's four or five, something you got in your mind God's calling you to do. Maybe there's a person that God's got on your door. Maybe it's something that you need to do for yourself. Maybe it's something that you need to do. I'd encourage you to take a minute and write at the top my next step. What am I going to do? I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We're going to have a final song and then we'll dismiss this morning. But uh, I pray we take this seriously. I think God's very serious about these things. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, the truth that it unfolds for us, the truth that it includes, uh, the unfathomable riches that are found in you and you alone and your wisdom. Just like your disciples, we come and we say, where else we go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, would you compel us to, to be obedient to you today? Oh, would you cast far from us the enemy who would love to just distract us enough so we wouldn't listen? Out of here, Father. He has no place in your kingdom. That we might be wholly yours, completely, completely dedicated to you. Father, for the work you've given us to do, I pray we would do it with courage and uh, not fear. Pray that we would be willing to try. I hear those words, Father. Uh, we'll try this, try that. How about, how about we try some stuff that you said we ought to do? Father, would you compel us to do it? And, and for, for my own heart that's so broken and twisted over finances and uh, all the stuff, that you would remove that. And for brothers and sisters here who say, I, I see that out of my life. I see that out of my heart. It's messing me up. That you remove that from us, Father. That we would, we would let you have what is yours. That we render it onto you.
what is yours. May be glorified, Father God. We love you so much. We thank you for the abundance poured out in Jesus' name. We pray that there's someone here who doesn't understand that, that you would move by your Holy Spirit to save them from hell and damnation and separation from you forever. You would redeem them in this day, in this moment, Father God, for your glory. That they would repent and believe the good news. And we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for all you've done for us. May you be glorified. I pray in the mighty name of our Savior and our King. Amen.